those times in our lives when we can't do a whole lot but pray, amen? amen. And, but even when we can, we ought to be praying. And uh, sometimes that's uh, probably been a big fault in my life. There's times I think, I got this one figured out. I'm going to jump right in and take the bull by the horn, so to speak. Take the cat by the tail, whatever, you know? And Well, the cat by the tail, that might not work too good. I, the, the lion or tiger by the tail, that's a little better, right? We don't want to hurt the little kitties, do we? But... Uh, and then we get in a mess because we didn't pray, we didn't beg God, we didn't seek His counsel. Well, take your Bible, if you would, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1 again. I'm going to read our theme verse for the year because really we're uh, in a series. Today we'll end that uh, mini-series, but we had three mini-series over the course of this past year focusing on our theme, which is fight the good fight. We said, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And we said, we're going to fight a good fight this year at Community Baptist Temple. And as a result, we've done a few different series. We had a little spring focus, uh, fight the good fight as a steward. And then, of course, in the summer, we said, fight the good fight as servants. And then now we're fighting the good fight as soldiers. 
And so we've looked at those three areas, and we want to continue with that today. Notice what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Again, Paul's writing a letter to his protege or his son in the faith, a man by the name of Timothy. Timothy, of course, was a very young man when Paul was introduced to him, and it appears from the Word of God that he was very instrumental in his salvation, if not the very one that led him to Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy is a relatively young man still at this point in his life, at least in comparison to Paul himself. Paul, according to the Word of God, just a few chapters later, is preparing to make his way to heaven. As a matter of fact, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. So we have here Paul the Apostle who has fought a good fight. And again, that fight that he fought wasn't that he, it wasn't that he judged himself a good fighter. It was that he said, the fight that I fought was a good one. I fought a battle that was worthy of fighting. I didn't waste my time fighting battles that could not be won or that had only an earthly ramification. I fought a heavenly battle or I fought a spiritual battle that had eternal ramifications. And so I fought a good fight, he says. Now, Paul had fought a good fight. He was a veteran. He was a, 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 a veteran of spiritual warfare, a veteran of the Christian life. He knew what it was about. He had endured it. He had fo- focused on it. He had, had dealt with it over and over again in so many different situations and circumstances. And now he takes Timothy and he shares with Timothy uh, this verse or this, this encouragement. And he says, now listen, I want you... to to be equally involved in the battle. I want you to fight a good fight. I want you to succeed in this warfare of the Christian life. In our passage, we noted a couple significant traits or qualities that Paul would have Timothy and every soldier of the faith to possess. We said, first of all, if we're going to be good soldiers, if we're going to fight a good fight, then we need determination. Determination. We're going to have to, to endure. We're going to have to stand if we're going to be a good soldier. We need some determination. We also noted this aspect of dedication. That's what we focused on last week. Dedication. A dedication to a particular cause, a specific move, movement, if you will, the cause of Christ. And then today, we want to direct our attention, our energies, to this aspect of desire. If we're going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we're going to need some desire. You say, what desire? What desire would that be? Well, Desire in 2 Timothy 2 4, as we read it, it says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We need the desire to please him. If we're going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, then we need to please him. See, the soldier's greatest desire ought to be to please his commander. The one who gives him the orders. I want to please my commander. I want to please that one that gives me these orders. I want to do the job as has been given to me. And you know, as a believer in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is our commander in chief. We're a soldier for Christ. Our greatest desire, above all others, ought to be to please him. That ought to be our greatest desire as a believer in Christ. So how can we as soldiers... Christian soldiers, 
please our commander-in-chief. How can we do that? Well, today I want to share four basic thoughts or ways that we can do that, okay? And so that's basically the message. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll do that. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we have together today. Thank you for all of these that have gathered. Lord, if, for the guests that are here. Lord, for the faithful regulars. Lord, just for everyone that made their way here to Community Baptist Temple. Lord, we are very aware, and we realize, Lord, that it is, it is a tremendous privilege and a great trust that they give us today. I pray, dear God, that you'd help me. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I truly have nothing to give thy people except you give it to me. So, Lord, just help me this morning to be filled with your spirit. And, Lord, may you just touch and anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. Lord God of heaven, there's more to this than just the life we live. There's an eternity that awaits. Lord, help us, Father, to be encouraged, to be instructed, to be inspired, Lord, by your word and your truths. May you drive home those truths, and may you just put a hedge about us that, Father, Satan wouldn't come along and steal the seed of your word. Oh, God, grant us grace today, peace, and help us, Lord, to be strong in thee. And may we just focus our attention on you for these next moments, that you may, Father, guide us, and that we may glean and grow from your word. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, you say, well, okay, I, <clears throat> I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, how can I please my master? What... what do I need to do to please the master? And, you know, that's a good question, and that's what we really need to be asking ourselves on a regular basis. But if we could take a soldier, if you will, and I was a soldier for a number of years, and um, I can, maybe I can identify a little bit with this, uh, this picture that God gives us as being a soldier of Jesus Christ because I was a soldier in the uh, American army, if you will. And so um, I, I kind of think that I know a little bit about soldiering, not a lot, maybe not as much as some of you out there, but I found that there's some things that we have to do if we want to please our commander-in-chief, if we want to please our captain, if we want to please our sergeant, if we want to please those that are giving us the orders, then there's a couple things that I found we needed to do. Number one, obey orders. You've got to obey orders. I mean, let's face it, any soldier that doesn't obey orders is going to have a rough time in the military. Right? I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Matter of fact, in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 15, the Bible says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me. Now listen, you can keep God's commandments and not love him. You can go through the motions. You can pretend to be something you're not. And that happens, unfortunately, in churches. It happens at school. It happens at work. It happens in the home. People put on a, a mask. People put a face on, if you will. As my grandma used to say, they put the dog on. They're not really that person inside, but they just present themselves in a certain way. And that can happen in church, too. That's just the reality of life. People are people wherever you go. But God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's saying, you know what? Your love ought to motivate an attitude of obedience. If you genuinely care, if you genuinely love me, if you genuinely adore me, then, then just more than anything, just obey me. Keep my commandments. Obey me. In the book of 1 Samuel, we see the importance of obedience. Notice, if you will, take your Bible, look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. We run into a man by the name of Saul. He's the king of Israel. Saul is the king of Israel here. Now, again, he was made king by God, and God gave him some orders. He's going to go to battle. 
And God's going to tell him, listen, there's this king by the name of Agag and, Agag, and there's a people there, the Amalekites, and they're very wicked people. They sacrifice their children to other gods. They do all kinds of horrible, heinous things to, to one another. They're, they're very uh, hedonistic. They're very um, sinful. They have transgressed my law. They want nothing to do with me. And, and, and you don't have to, we, we, we're not going to debate whether God's a good God or not. We're not going to debate whether God's right or wrong in what he does. But God told him, he simply said, listen, you go destroy every single living person. You destroy every animal. You get rid of every living creature. Everything. Wipe it out. Do away with it. Someone says, that is so, so ungodlike. If that's the way God is, I don't want nothing to do with him. Well, let me ask you something. The doctor, you go to the doctor today, and, you say, and he says to you, by the way, you have cancer in your body. And he says, I'll tell you what, I don't want to get rid of all of it. I just want to deal with it a little bit. We'll just take a little bit of time here and there because I would really hate to try to just snuff it out completely. I mean, it's a cancer in your body. It'll ultimately destroy you. It'll kill you. It'll harm, it'll harm you. It'll take you away from your family. It'll destroy your, 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 your future. But that's all right. Uh, you say, Doc, no, 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 no. Get rid of it all. Let's destroy it all. Let's just do away with it completely because if it's going to harm me, it's going to harm those around me. Get rid of it. You'd say your doctor's crazy for not getting rid of all of it. Well, God's the, the great physician. And he understood what would ultimately destroy his people. He understood what would ultimately hamper and hinder their walk with him. He knew, he knew that those attitudes and those, those uh, uh, idolaters and those that were worshiping other gods would ultimately corrupt and ultimately destroy them. And God says, you get rid of it. You wipe it out. I've given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get right with me, and they've chosen not to. Instead, they go about even murdering their own children. Sounds like American abortion, doesn't it? And they, they go around doing all of these things, and they have nothing at all to do with me. You say, why'd you throw that in? Because we need that. Because it's still an issue on God's books. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that we have, a, we have this cancer, if you will, over here. I want you to get rid of the cancer, Saul. I want you to get rid of Agag and all the people. Saul says, okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. <laughs> when Saul gets to the end of the battle, guess what? There's still sheep. There's still some cattle. There's still a king that's still living. And he says, God... Or, or he says to Samuel the prophet, Samuel, I saved all of those so that I could sacrifice them to God. So I could give those animals in sacrifice to God. I thought God told him to destroy all of it. He didn't. Now watch what's said here. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? See, again, he's saying, okay, you were told by your commander to destroy it all. You said, yes, sir. You go out to battle instead of destroying it all. And he gave all kind of excuses, mind you. We don't have time to go back through it all. But he gave all kind of excuses why he could not obey, why he did not obey. But ultimately, he uses religion. I'm doing this for God. I, have you ever met somebody that used God as an excuse for doing wrong? Well, that's exactly what Saul did. Saul said, well, God, I'm doing this for God. I, I didn't kill all the animals as I was told. I didn't take the life of Agag the king. I spared those, the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen so I could sacrifice, so that me and the people could sacrifice them to God. And the, 
the prophet says, hmm, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Behold, he gives the answer. Because guess what? Saul didn't know the answer. Or he wouldn't have done what he did. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. Let me give you an example of it. You tell your son or your daughter to clean the garage out. Clean that garage out. When I get back from work, I want to see the garage clean. Yes, sir. That's how every kid acts too, right? Yes, sir. Okay? So, nonetheless, you come back from work, and the garage is a mess. And you go to your child, and your son, you say, and you say, Son, I told you to clean the garage, and I told you it needed to be clean when I got back. You said, Yes, sir. You knew exactly what you were supposed to do. You knew how to do it. We've done this a number of times. There's no excuse why it's not completed. Hold on a second. Get off my back. Hey, hold on. Listen, mom's been on me a lot longer than you. She wanted that room clean, and I figured I'd clean that room first, then I'll clean the garage when I get a chance. So go to my room, check it out, it's perfectly clean. I told you to clean the garage. I didn't tell you to clean your room. I know, but I cleaned the room. I still did, I still cleaned something, I still got it taken care of. No, you didn't obey me though. But I cleaned my room, but you didn't obey me. But you don't understand, you didn't obey me. Is dad happy with his son because he cleaned his room? No, he's not happy because he should have obeyed him and done what he was told to do in the first place. And may I say that the God of heaven is not impressed when we do what we want to do. He's only impressed when we do what he says to do. So many times as believers, we get the idea we have the right to tell God what we're going to do. I'm going to teach. I'm going to, I'm going to go ride a bus. I'm going, to, I'm going to work in the nursery. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. That's fine. And do those things. But if God tells you, if God tells you to do something specific and you say, well, God, I appreciate that. I would teach, but I'm more comfortable working on a bus. I'll work the bus instead. God says, but I told you to teach. God's not pleased with our efforts to please him. He wants us to obey him. He doesn't need what we have to give him. He needs what he wants from us. He just says, I want you to obey. That's as simple as it is with God. It's not rocket science here. He just wants obedience. It's simple. We're soldiers. Guess what soldiers are to do? Yes, sir. Simply obey their commanders. Simply obey their chiefs. Simply obey their sergeants. It's simple. Anybody that's ever been in leadership in the military knows how frustrating that can be. It's amazing how everybody has a plan But they're not supposed to be in charge. And you know what? God has the plan, the master plan. You may have yours, but God has his. And his is more important because he is the commander-in-chief. Let's just submit to him. Let's obey him. That's as simple as it is. If we want to please our commander-in-chief, if we truly want to please the Lord, then we must obey our orders. Years ago, when I was in the military, we were on reforger. Reforger is basically like war games, you know, you, you simulate war, you know, and we're over in Europe at that time, and boy, we're going to spend, you know, a couple of weeks out in the field, you know, and just pretending like we're in real battle, real warfare. They even got so complicated where they started putting these things on us that you get shot and it beep and all kind of crazy stuff. Anyway, I, I, was, a, um, I was a retrans operator at the time. I, I, you know, just all I had was a Jeep. I had a Jeep and I had two radios and one on each side of the Jeep, and 
And so say this was the radio, the Jeep, and on this side was one radio, this side was another radio. And what would happen is a signal would come in to, a, uh, uh, to uh, this radio, and then it would transfer to this radio, and then it would send it out further. Because you could only transport or send this wave so far. It would only go so far. So you had a retrans operator that would set up a big tower and would stretch really high, about 30 feet up in the air. And, and so it would come in on this radio, and it would go out on this radio and go... Okay, that's what it did, a retrans operator. That's what I, a Jeep. So I had one of these Jeeps, and I was in charge, and I had another fellow with me. And um, at the time, I was still a, e, a PFC3 or whatever you call it, an E3. And then this other guy was an E2, so I was in charge. I was the man, you know. And, uh, okay, so whatever. But anyway, so I was in charge, you know, and I was in charge of that, that retrans uh, station, you know. And so my sergeant, he was, a, he was an E8 or an E9, something like that. He said, he said O'Donnell. He said, uh, uh, looking at a map, he says, you see this uh, um, here? And he's explaining it and all this. He goes, right there. See that hill right there? In the past, we've set up up there on the top there. It's a great place. Uh, let's go ahead and set the retrans up right there. I went, okay, got it. I circled it. I took the map. I headed on out. Man, I found that little mountain peak. It was not really a mountain, but it was just a real high hill there in a little village in a town there in Germany. And so I made my way there. I got there and I started trying to find my way up that hill and, and there was no way to get up to the top of that hill. Let me tell you something. I'm trying to drive my Jeep. I got this trailer on the back with all the stuff I need to build this big tower and uh, uh, I'm trying to get up through there and I can't get through there. I get out, I walk it and I realize, man, it has grown up. It must be years since they came through here. I couldn't get up there for nothing. I remember I, I got back in the Jeep and I told that guy, I said, let's go. We're just going to go back and tell him we're going to find another location. And so I took off, went back to, to the E8, and I said, uh, excuse me, Sergeant, I said, uh, he said, what are you doing here, O'Donnell? I said, well, I just want you to know, you know, you told me that you guys used to set up up there on top of that mountain, and uh, unfortunately, you know, I said, it's all grown up. There's no way we can get up to the top now. Uh, there's just no way it can happen. He went, he looked at me, and went, O'Donnell, wrong again. I told you, get on top that hill, get on top that hill. I don't care what it takes, get the job done. Amen. Do what I told you. I said, okay, all right, that's what you want. I took off, went back to that mountain, that little hill or whatever it was called. And man, I got in that Jeep and I found this area, this, this, I kind of eyed it up. About a hundred or more yards to the top. I took my Jeep, I floored it, <laughs> pushed my pedal all the way to the floor and just took off. And I mean to tell you, we cleared a path. I mean, just flying up this hill. I was doing at least 30 miles an hour or more, 35. You, I don't know, some of you don't understand, but if you're going through the woods 30, 35 miles an hour in a Jeep, let me tell you something, you're moving. Flying up that hill. I mean, branches, tree limbs, smacking things, hitting things. I'm ducking, holding my head below the steering wheel even at times. Smashed the windshield out. Broke out the headlights. I, I, I mean, I, I took out the rear differential. But we got to the top of that hill. I set that thing up. Sergeant came around. He's radioing me. I says, we're, we're, we're in place. Everything's good, Sergeant, whatever. He said, okay. He comes looking for us later on in the operation. Couldn't find us. Couldn't figure out, where, how'd you get up there? I thought I was a goner. Later on, that thing limped home. We limped it home. He looked at that Jeep. I thought it was over. It's government property, right? Before I could say a word, he said, I'll say one thing for you, O'Donnell. You obeyed my orders. 
that's all he had. And then he said, get it fixed. <laughs> and for a week later, I was out in the motor pool fixing everything because he said, you're not making the motor pool do that. That was your stupidity. I'm sure I could have found a better way, but you're still stupid, O'Donnell. You decided to ruin your Jeep. So anyway, he, he didn't say no. He just said, you obeyed my orders. Let me tell you something. In the military, that's, that's, that's important. That's how you please your commander. That's how you please the one in charge. You obey orders. Then, number two, not only obey orders, but you've got to fight valiantly. Fight valiantly. We're soldiers, right? We're fighters. We're fighters. We're supposed to not be soft. We've got to be fighters. We've got to valiantly fight. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. So we have an adversary, and that adversary is none other than Satan himself. He's our adversary. He's our enemy. Let me tell you something. The devil plays for keeps. He don't play around. He don't mess around. You know, you, you ever, I don't know if you're into MMA or if you're into wrestling or whatever it might be, but I wrestled in high school. And let me tell you something. Uh, it, it, unfortunately, there was a few times I found it, ended up on my back, and uh, the ref would go, you're out. And then, and then in MMA stuff, it gets even worse. The ref doesn't even smack you out. You tap yourself out. I mean, you're just, let go. You're going to break my arm now or something, you know? But there's no tap-outs in real warfare. It's life or death. And that's how the devil fights, life or death. It's not content just to get you down. He's not content just to hurt you. He wants to ruin you. He wants to wreck you. He wants to destroy you. Notice Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 14. The Bible says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Notice again, he says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand. And it's a battle. It's a warfare. It's a fight. Someone says, man, I got saved and man, I, life's really gotten tough since I trusted the Lord. And I thought everything was supposed to be better now. Well, it is better. You're not going to hell. It's pretty good. That means if you take your last breath, you don't end up in a fiery pit. You go straight to be with the Lord Jesus who saved your soul, washed you in the blood of Christ. Man, that's pretty good stuff. Not only that, but you got Him living in you. Now listen, I'm not saying that life around you may not be chaotic and hectic, but God within is the Prince of Peace and the Lord Jesus lives in you. You can find peace in the midst of your chaos and confusion. When the world's going, turning upside down, doesn't know where to turn or what to do, you know exactly who to turn to. You know exactly what needs done if you'll bury your face and your heart in the presence of Christ and in the Word of God. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, though. It's a battle. That's why we're soldiers. It's a battle. If you're looking for a cakewalk, this is not the business you want in. It's not the business. Sometimes we sell the Lord in a sense. You know, we kind of say, oh boy, you trust the Lord, He'll fix your marriage. He'll fix your life. He'll fix your health. He'll fix your this. He'll fix this. No, He doesn't always fix those things. No, He doesn't. But He'll fix your, your lost, desperate, wicked soul. And then He'll give you hope and He'll give you strength to take the next step every day of your life. I don't know how people make it without Jesus Christ in this world. I don't. I don't know how they do it. Somebody says, well, He's a crutch. Call Him whatever you want. I don't want just one then. I want two. I'll take any crutch I can get. I want help getting through this life. I don't, I'm not foolish enough to think I can do it all alone. I need Him. 
He created me. The last one I want to do without is the Creator. Stand. Fight valiantly. I do not know how to pronounce this word. I've asked some others. They gave me some ideas. But I want to talk for just a moment. I want to share the battle of thermophilae. I have no idea what it is. It was a... It doesn't matter. It was a battle between the Persians and the Greeks during the Persian invasion, 480, between 480 and 479. You may have remembered it. It was the Spartans. And the Greek force was a very small force, as you well know. Matter of fact, they say that the Greek force was around 300 Spartans as well as about 6,000 support troops. There were some others that fought in the battle as well with them, but the main uh, thrust was those 300 Spartans. Of course, uh, Persia wanted to invade, and they got the call. So they stood between the Persian army that numbered well into 100, maybe 200,000 troops. Here they were in this very narrow pass, this gap, if you will, between the mountains of central Greece and the sea, that sea being the Thermolobola. And I just can't pronounce I'm sorry. I tried to figure it out, and, and, and there's no etymologist in here that helped me, so here we are. But the pass was part of a route that led into Greece from the north, and that Greece force was just waiting there, just sitting there. Again, 300 Spartans is all they were, along with a number of support troops as well. But the Persian army, as I said, really outnumbered them significantly, 100 to 200,000 men. So here they were defending this pass. So a few days into this thing, uh, Persia realizes we're having some real problems. I mean, these, these Greek soldiers, these crack troops are doing a, an amazing job. Their spears were longer, which enabled them to, to reach out a little further, and they were killing a number of them. And because the pass was so narrow, the, the Persian army could not utilize their great numbers to overpower them, and so they could only send up so many troops at a time. And as a result, man, they were having casualty after casualty, fatality after fatality. Man, they were losing this battle until, until a traitor came along a Greek trader, And he came along and went to the king, and, uh, to, to Persia, and he said, listen, there's another route. This is not the only way. I could show you a way to get behind these Spartans. And you know what? He did. And so at night, they went ahead, and the king sent some of his best troops, or the, the, the commander sent some of his best troops, and they sent them up this pathway around and got behind the Spartans. And now, on both sides, front and rear, they were trapped. This is what really amazes me. This leader of the Spartans, this commander, he offered to let the other troops slip out, to leave the best they could, to escape. But those 300 Spartans said, we're staying no matter what. History tells us that when their weapons wore out and they lost their weapons, they literally fought with their hands and their teeth. They fought to the very end valiantly. You want to know something? Our battle against evil is just as important as that battle was that day to them. Amen. And let me tell you something. We are well outnumbered numerically. Let me tell you something. We got a God bigger than anyone and anything. 
And we must fight valiantly to the very end, if need be. We want to please our God, then we're going to be fighters. I'm not talking about going around biting people. You know, hey, by the way, I'm a Christian. You know, that's not what we're talking about, okay? So understand the parallel here, the picture. But when attacked, when in the battle, we're going to fight to the end. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. And in doing so, we'll please our commander and chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, fighting valiantly. Not only that, but we're to train consistently. When I was in the military, we spent a lot of time training. And, and, and remedial training was a big thing. We constantly trained, constantly. Being reminded of what we've learned, as well as learning new techniques, new uh, technology, all kind of different things, constantly. When I was in basic training alone, they gave us what was called the smart book. It's a smart book. They used to tell us how stupid we were and say, you've got to read the smart book if you want any brains. I think they'd get on us. They'd write us hard. And I liked it. It was fun. Sometimes. When it was the other guy getting yelled at. But anyway, I mean, we got the smart book. And so every time the commander, uh, my, my sergeant, he'd be real happy. He'd say, hey, Don, I see you're reading your smart book. Yeah, I'm reading my smart book. Well, he liked that. I could tell he enjoyed that. I wasn't reading the smart book and things were going bad. He's like, Where's your smart book? I said, I left it to, go down, give me 20. Man, he didn't like that. If I didn't have the smart book on me, I was in trouble. He had that smart book. Smart book told us our orders. The smart book told us what, uh, you know, how to handle certain situations and circumstances. Told us even how to put a tourniquet on and do all that stuff. Things you needed in battle. Smart book. Constantly training. Constantly training. You're going to the, to, to, to the, um, to the, um, uh, you know, fire your weapons. You're always trying to learn, you know, how to be a better marksman, how to use gas masks and how to deal with biological warfare. Learning, 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 always learning. And that's what we need to do as children of God. Constantly training. The Bible says, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How much time are we spending in the word of God? This is how we learn. This is how we grow in the Christian life. You want to please the commander? You want to please the Lord Jesus Christ? Then guess what? As a soldier of Jesus Christ, we need to be constantly training, learning, growing, gleaning. And finally, as we look at this, we, we know to obey orders, fight valiantly, train consistently, and finally, represent well. Represent well. Now, I don't know, they, didn't, they never probably did this earlier on, and, but when I went to basic training, I went to basic training in November, and of course Christmas is in December. Now, I, I had no idea this was going to happen. I had no idea. But when we got to Christmas, they said to us, after I was only been in the military, four weeks, I was only there four weeks, and they said, you can go home and leave if you want. From basic training? Are you kidding me? They let me go home from basic training. It's hard to believe. I never thought they'd let me do that. Well, that was a nightmare. Let me tell you something. I still remember standing out 
And now I went down to Fort Jackson, okay, and it was December, of course, we're getting ready to leave to go on, you know, you had to buy your plane tickets and do all this stuff. They herded us in and, and they took care of us like cattle, you know, and took care of everything. And so here we are, you know, they get us all dressed up in our, 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 our greens, you know, and that time we had, uh, still had, they already given us our dress uniform and stuff. We had to have our insignias in the right place. We had to, all, they gave us these little things to stick on there and all this stuff. Everything, everything. I mean, they're taking measuring tapes and they're taking all kinds of stuff and measuring things and making sure it's perfect and, and checking our hats and make sure they're wore just the right way and making us practice how to salute and do all kind of dumb stuff. Well, not dumb stuff if you're a soldier, I guess. Isn't that how Christians feel sometimes? We start talking about what God demands. Well, that's stupid. Why do we have to do that? Doesn't make any sense. Well, for as soldiers, it's important because it's all part of the discipline. And so here I am now standing. I can still remember. I don't know why it was, but it was freezing. Even snow went on the ground. That, that's unusual that time of year there in, 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 down in... Uh, uh, Fort Jackson, which is actually um, Columbia, South Carolina. That time, it was Columbia, South Carolina. It was freezing out. Here we are, standing at attention, waiting for buses to arrive. They're checking us, making sure everything's perfect. People are running in, having to fix things, do all kinds of dumb stuff. Here we are, standing at attention for two hours. Two hours. I, I, it was the craziest thing in the world. Everything, everything had to be perfect. On your uniform, you had to look the part. You represent... United States Army, you will look like a soldier, you will act like a soldier, you will represent. And you know something? They made sure of it. They said, matter of fact, we'll have people, we'll have people stationed in the airports. I believed them. <laughs> and if you don't look properly, you take that jacket off, you do this, we will bring you right back here. <laughs> You know what? As Christians, we need to represent. We're God's children. We're His soldiers. We need to look and act and live the part. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. How are you doing with that? How do you do when you're at work? And how are you doing with that at home? How do you do with that when it's just you and your wife? How are you doing that when it's just you and your kids? How are you doing with that one? It's easy when we're here, isn't it? All we have to do is put a little suit on or a tie or dress a certain way or put a little smile, paint one on our face. Everybody goes, oh, they're a good Christian. Look at them. So cute. How are you doing when you're home, though, by yourself? It's just you and the television or you and the Internet. How are you representing? How are you doing? We want to please our commander-in-chief. We want to please the Lord Jesus as soldiers in the army of faith. We do that, obviously, a number of ways. We obey him. We fight valiantly. We train consistently. We represent well. But you know what? It begins with a relationship with the Lord. You know, sometimes, sadly enough, folks try to live the Christian life before they met the Christ of the Christian life. We try to be religious before we have a relationship. It begins with a relationship with Christ. It's not enough to simply know about 
what Christ did. We have to know him personally. We do that by meeting him. We meet him at the foot of the cross. He died on Calvary, shed his perfect sinless blood to wash our sin away. He alone met the righteous demands of God. Being perfect, he cannot allow sin in his presence. Me being a sinner means I'll never make it. But Jesus was perfect and sinless. God in flesh. He shed his blood and died in my place. And therefore, when I cry out to God for his mercy and his forgiveness, when I call upon the name of the Lord, he said, I'll save you and forgive you. And that mercy and that grace that is there, I can extend to you because of the blood of Christ. Now I can give you what you need to be free from your sin. I'm glad that God loved me and sent his son to die in my place. And I'm glad I made a decision to let him. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision? Because if you haven't, you're going to miss heaven. You're going to miss the best life there is to live in the world, the Christian life. It's the best. It's not always the easiest, but it is the best. And I want to encourage you to put your faith in Christ today before it's eternally too late. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Mm-hmm. Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved from your sin, saved from the consequences of it, even this morning, and begin a journey, yes, a battle, but a journey of victory with Christ as your commander-in-chief. Father, we come to you.